Good evening, my darlings, and welcome to Marley's Ghosts. It's time for another Dread Time story. Now get yourselves all tucked in. Ready? Good. Let's begin. Tonight's story is Garden of the Gods by Ed Berkeley. We can't get any closer! The captain yelled over the roaring sea. This is as far as I can take you! Henry looked up from the boat's tossing deck and acknowledged the captain's decree, knowing full well what this meant. He pulled the rope and lowered the lifeboat into the turbulent waters. Soaked from the storm and ocean spray, he tossed his large duffel bag into the boat below and with a little hesitation leapt into the dark waters. The ocean was cold. He wasn't quite prepared for that. Or, for that matter, finding the lifeboat once he was in the tumultuous maelstrom. As each monstrous wave crested, he would gasp, catching his breath, breathing deep to fill his lungs. Timing was everything. Too slow, and he would get a face full of salt water. Too fast, and he wouldn't have enough air to make it to the next crest. Fighting the ocean current, he made sight of the lifeboat and swam hard toward it. As he rode the waves up and down, the ship that had brought him this far undulated further and further away, until its light emerged with the stars in the far, far off distance. When Henry finally reached the lifeboat, he grasped its edge and hurled himself up and over, landing hard in the base of the vessel. Exhausted from his battle with the sea, rain wrapping his face and eyes, he realized in his fervor to have something solid beneath him that nowhere about him was his duffel bag. It must have been thrown from the boat as it was fought with the violent onslaught from the surrounding abyss. It is lost, and so be it, Henry thought. I will make do when I reach the shore. Henry would make three pivotal mistakes during his journey. This was the first. Henry woke to the lapping of the ocean against the shore, to the silhouettes of birds circling overhead in the bright morning sun. He wiped his salt-caked eyes, clearing both remnants of sea and sand. At least now, on solid ground, he could begin to search for what he had come for all this way to obtain. Henry was not your typical treasure hunter. By no means was he here for some sort of trinket or souvenir. He was a connoisseur of great taste. The object of his desire was something that took great pains to obtain. Henry had traveled the world for it, first on a whisper, then rumor, and finally, legend. He had learned that in the most remote corner of the ocean, on an impossible-to-reach island, grew a plant whose fruit would transform its consumer beyond the reaches of death, or so the stories went. Henry knew better than to believe in such fantasies. He came for its rarity, to taste what few humans had or ever would, 
the genuine, biblical, forbidden fruit. To savor its flavor would mean his life's fulfillment actualized. It was far from this island in a nameless corner of Paris where his journey had begun. In the bowels of some building that seemed like time had forgotten. This establishment was very old and had been many things. Once a bakery, then a butcher, and now perhaps it could be called a cafe. But not like ones found in the sunnier arrondissement of the city. It was dark more like a tavern, with crown glass windows and thick oak features. It smelled of stale liquor, musty books, and melancholy. From his enclosed booth, Henry overheard two men of some distinction at the bar discussing their outlandish adventures. In trying to one-up each other in their escapades, one of the men told a tale that Henry had heard only in fragments and under different titles. But never before had he heard the tale with such great detail and clarity. The man, one Mr. Tuttle, was a shady antiques dealer whose involvement in Paris's dark market had led to the procurement of many obscure and arcane pieces. Boastfully, he spoke of a great eldritch society that was formed to protect and cultivate the last remaining fruits from the Garden of Eden. He said the garden once housed various fruits containing powers to increase a person's wisdom, their strength, and even their life. Over time, many came in search of these plants. Wars erupted and all the specimens were destroyed or lost, save one. The sole remaining fruit of Eden was the one known to grant eternal life. Many searched for its location to no avail, until the fabled Ponce de Leon finally discovered its hiding place on a remote, lush island, a proverbial garden of the gods. In his attempt to bring back the fruit, he was attacked by its protectors and later died from his injuries. But before his final breath passed over his lips, he penned down in his journal the much-coveted location of the island. This he handed over to his closest and most trusted ally. It is this very journal that Mr. Tuttle obtained in one of his advantageous transactions. Henry was so intrigued by the story that he waited for the other man to leave and then followed Mr. Tuttle as he stumbled sottishly back to his abode. After a few minutes' time, he let himself in and found Mr. Tuttle passed out from inebriation. Finding the journal was a little difficult, and once it was in his hand, Henry left Paris in search of the succulent specimen. Where to begin? Henry pondered, looking down the island shore in one direction, then the other. There was no sight of the fabled plant on the shore. This meant that it must be further inland, protected by the island's lush jungle vegetation. This could be a problem. The ship that dropped him here was returned this evening, and he had better be on the shore with his prize in tow, if he planned on ever leaving this strip of sand. No other ship would take him to the island, and the one that agreed did so only with a stipulation. 
be ready to part on their return pass. Hopefully the journey to the heart of the island would not be arduous or too time-consuming. This decision to leave the safety of the shore was Henry's second big mistake. As Henry prepped for his inland journey, he realized that he desperately needed the gear he had packed in his duffel bag. It had fresh water, food, a first aid kit, and a machete, all claimed by the sea now. (sighs) With a deep sigh, he retrieved from his pocket the only item of use that had survived the trip, the piece of paper edges folded, its surface worn and sepia-toned. This revealed the map that had led him here, the one torn out of Tuttle's stolen journal. The map had fulfilled its duty, but what was still unknown and interested Henry more was what appeared on the other side. He carefully unfolded a delicate sheet and turned it over. On its reverse was what looked to be a rubbing, possibly a depiction of the plant itself. Two large vines grew outward from the left and the right, each wrapped around what looked to be human forms. The vine on the left was holding a robust figure. The one on the right, a thin, frail-looking form. He wasn't sure what the imagery meant exactly, but was sure that soon enough he would know the answer. Either way, he had no time to ponder over it further. He refolded the map, returned it to his pocket, then headed toward the tree line. Once he reached the dense growth, he paused to peer into the vast jungle. Inside, the sun created small beams of light that broke through the canopy above and illuminated the plant life below. Here goes nothing, Henry said, then raised his arms and parted the vegetation. With one bounding step forward, he entered the primeval realm. As he let go of the fistful of leaves and branches, the jungle plants snapped back to their previous position behind him, and the island seemed to simply swallow him up. Henry made the arduous climb up the island's sloping mountain, the carcass of some volcano that died long ago. As he did, the jungle eased and a clearing opened to a large stone archway. This must be the entrance to the fabled garden, Henry surmised. With renewed energy, he gathered his things and with haste breached the archway and headed up the path. The trail was surprisingly well preserved. The large stones bordering either side. Most were fully exposed, but a few had been devoured by the earth and vegetation. As if to protect its prize, the jungle suddenly became thick with growth. Henry had no blade to clear the path, only his bare hands and the will to claim his desire. So he tore and dug the thicket, ripping away plants and limb. But the jungle did not relinquish so easily. It fought back. Thorns dug greedily into his palms. Razor-sharp leaves bit into his sun-scorched skin. But Henry had come too far to give up now. He hacked his way through. Snap went another vine, and with it, a finger. But he barely noticed the pain over the pulse of his thudding heartbeat. 
Bloodied and panting, he finally broke through the barricade of vegetation and saw an open garden. Without haste, Henry pushed his body through the aperture, sliding on the wetness of sweat and sap and blood. The jungle birthed him into the forbidden garden. Landing hard upon the garden's floor, he lay supine. Numerous sharp pebbles poked into his back. Curious, he grabbed a fistful of whatever was beneath him and sat up to examine it. Seated within his palm was an assortment of small animal bones, like that of mice and birds bleached by the sun. He cast his eyes across the garden's gate. Bones were littered everywhere. So much white death that it seemed as if the ground was covered in snow. The garden was not as lush as he expected. Only death sprouted here. Lifting his aching body, he made his way to the center of the garden, shattering bones crunched under each footfall. As he neared the heart of this skeletal wasteland, he saw what appeared to be an altar, and seated upon it was what he had come here to claim. As he made his way toward the chantry, the bones around him began to change. They were larger, and many had vestiges of cloth and metal intertwined within. In a horrific realization, it became all too clear that these were no longer mere animal bones. They were human remains. Bending over, he picked up a large, rusted helmet nestled among the skeletal debris. The curve of its rim and the dorsal fin made it instantly recognizable. He had seen one such as this before at the Musée de Lyon. It was the armor of a conquistador. Journeying further, more archaeological finds materialized. Swords of pirates, pistols of colonels, the helmet of a World War II fighter pilot. Their owners had come in search of the same thing and all still remained. It was then that Henry remembered the stories of the protectors who'd stoop watch over this island in its succulent pearl. He quickly perused his surroundings and was relieved to see he was alone. The protectors were nowhere to be found. He felt a renewed sense of hope that he would not end up as so many around him had. Reaching the altar, his eyes landed on the pith of his desire. Growing out and over the stone slab was a large, twisted vine. Sprouting from it was a single white fruit the size and shape of an eggplant. Henry carefully approached the forbidden delicacy and with a bit of hesitation, firmly grabbed the pale pod. With a quick, determined pull and a loud snap, it was free from its roost. He paused, breath held, eyes darting around, waiting for movement nearby. But nothing happened. Ah, <sighs> a sigh of relief. The ultimate prize that so many others had come to claim but could not, he had at last in his hand. Now he just needed to get back to the shore in time for the ship's return. As he returned to the retreat, he noted that the small drops of sap were now flowing from the vine where the fruit once held. 
It was only then that Henry noticed the broken stone tablet behind the altar. Upon it was a pictorial carving, one he had seen before. He retrieved the folded map from his pocket. A quick glance confirmed that the image was indeed a sketch taken from this exact stone. However, the tablet revealed intricate details lost in the crude facsimile of the drawing. Unfortunately, half the stone had broken off and was nowhere to be seen. The side that was intact depicted a healthy specimen of a man, his head back and mouth open wide as drops fell from the vine of the forbidden fruit into his gaping maw. The words, Well, the story's actually true, escaped on Henry's breath. With temerity, he stretched his free hand out, resting it just underneath the dripping vine. The sap was warm against his skin and as it fell onto his blood-encrusted fingers and washed away the crimson stains, so, too, it took away the cuts and bruises. It's true, all of it, Henry erupted. He placed the fruit aside on the altar, then cupped his hands together to gather more sap, rubbing both arms, then his face with the comforting liquid. Henry felt his skin begin to renew, refresh, Regrow. Miraculous, he mused. Then Henry had an even more profound thought. If the sap renewed my skin, what would happen when I eat the fruit? If the legend were true, it would indeed make me immortal? Without a second thought, Henry reached down and picked up the fruit from the altar and eagerly took a bite from the alabaster flesh. In this act, Henry committed his third and final mistake. The taste of the fruit was like, unlike anything he had ever experienced or could possibly describe. As the primordial ichor of life passed down his gullet, a surge of heat and vitality spread throughout his body. My God, it's working. The deep grunt of a ship's horn blared in the distance. The ship had arrived. His time was up. With fruit in hand and a new sense of vigor, Henry sprinted toward the exit. Passing the dead, crushing bone under heel, he was almost at the perimeter of the garden when he caught sight of another stone tablet. It was like the one up at the altar, except this one was completely intact. He slowed, vexed by the new image, and inspected what he had missed before. There were two figures adjacent to one another. The left he had seen before, the strong, healthy man. But the right was more deplorable depiction. A skeleton lay underneath the vine. At its side was a round object, marred by a crescent-shaped bite. It took but a single heartbeat to grasp the full meaning of the mural. Drink from my vine! the blood of gods, and have everlasting life. But eat of my flesh, and you shall perish. Henry suddenly felt sick, and tried to jettison the contents from his stomach, but it was too late. The seeds were already working their way into his gut. He dropped the half-eaten, insidious fruit, and sprinted toward the sanctuary of the incoming vessel, 
The path out of the jungle seemed to know his fate, offering few obstacles to halt his escape. The first cruel blow of pain struck in his stomach. Then his hands and feet started to go numb. A sensation of pins and needles coursed through his veins. He was halfway to the shore now. He had to make it to the ship and get medical attention if there was any hope at all for his survival. Leaves and branches whirled by as he flew down the mountain, bounding for the exit out of the jungle. Crack! The sound echoed in Henry's ears as the ground came up to meet him, his arms reaching desperately as he skidded onto the sandy beach. He looked down at his legs to see bone had torn through flesh, the alabaster protrusion wrapped with green, undulating vines. His first thought was that the jungle was trying to drag him back. But his second and far more lurid thought was the realization that the vines were not coming out of the jungle. They were coming out of him. The thick, pulsating brambles had rooted within his veins. Panicked, he crawled with all his might across the hot sand just as the ship's lifeboat was coming ashore. Henry opened his mouth to scream for help, but only a sorrowful gargle came out. A painful eruption of vines spat forth and wrapped their convulsive tendrils violently around his face. His legs popped and sprang forth a festoon of roots that sank deep into the sand, pinning him firmly in place. Eyes widened with horror of his demise, Henry screamed silently as his stomach, a tuber of arborous fingerlings, burst its verdant contents onto the ground. From the palms of his hands came the final entombing act as more vegetation secured him to where he gripped the sand. The only remaining resemblance of Henry were two wide eyeballs that twitched in disbelief as they peered at the captain and his crew coming ashore. Then, with the sound like that of two small firecrackers exploding, Henry's eyes were no more. From vacant sockets poured a profusion of leafy manner. In the final act of transformation, the vines around Henry's head dug deep and pulled with great force. His skull split open and outsprang the most succulent of white, plump fruits. I don't see him, Captain, said one of the nearby crewmen. I told him to be here or we would leave him, the captain grumbled. He scanned the shoreline, then inhaled deeply. This place has the scent of death. Motioning to his crew, he yelled, Let's get back to the ship, like I told the fool. Those that venture inland are never seen again. We aren't going to hang around long enough to find out if he joined all the other lost souls. As the captain turned toward the lifeboat, something caught his eye. Near the edge of the jungle, a bright ivory-colored object stood out. Approaching it, he saw small bones and a few articles of clothing scattered about clothes looked a bit familiar. But who remembered things like that? In that moment, it was the scent of the plant that overtook his thoughts. 
a saccharine fragrance that saturated his nose and made him a bit dizzy. If this fruit smells that good, I wonder what it'll taste like. The captain pulled a small knife from his pocket and plucked free the fruit that had once been Henry. Turning back to his crew, he hollered, I found the most delicious smelling fruit. Lucky for you all, it's big enough to share amongst a lot of us. The Thank you for listening to Marley's Ghosts with me, your ghostess, Deborah Marley. You can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Marley's Ghosts or send me an email at Marley's Ghosts Podcast at gmail.com. I love hearing from you. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, Visit my Patreon, where we have lots of tiers to choose from, each with their own special treats. Rate and review so our community of Dreadtime listeners can grow. Until next time, my darlings, sleep well.